Hello, my name is Dr. Fabrice Robert Lubin, and I am a clinical psychologist. And I am Rachel Wagner, and I am a clinical therapist. Welcome to Mindful Chatter. This is a place where we keep it real, keep it relevant, catching up with one another, and most importantly, catching up with you. Hey there, Fabrice. Hi, Rachel. <laughs> How are you doing today? I'm doing, I'm doing well-ish. Well-ish. I'm not from Wales, <laughs> but I'm feeling well-ish. You're feeling well-ish. Yeah. Okay, that's good. You know something that I say often when people ask me, how am I? I say positive, and it blows people's minds. Mm. They'll be like, no one ever says that. Everyone always says good. Yeah. Which and we've I, talked about in the vibes episode. I try to create a response that invites invitation to go deeper mm. or not. So if I say I'm positive, a person can say, what are you positive about? Hmm. Or do you ever say, I'm negative? I guess I could. <laughs> I could start. I'm feeling quite negative. I mean, is it, is it kind of like, you know, when someone asks you, hey, how are you? And we automatically re respond with good. You automatically respond with positive. I do because I feel that even in a quote unquote negative situation, I can view it. I can learn something from it. I can be positive about the experience itself so that I don't feel so trapped or stuck. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to just say for real, I really want to talk about being stuck today. I think that sounds like a great topic to kind of dive a little bit further into. Are you feeling stuck in particular on this day? I got an email from... I believe it's used to be Sally Mae. Now it's Navient. Mm. And I hate Sally Mae. And every, every. Don't give me more student every, loans because I hate you. I know, yeah. <laughs> We're against you. <laughs> so, so every, every month, you know, I get this reminder email. Mm -hmm. And what I think is so fascinating is the marketing that goes behind these emails that we get from Sally Mae or Navient or whoever owns all of my trillions of dollars that I have to pay back to the government. <laughs> trillions. Um, and there'll always be these things that are just like, summertime fun, pay your loans. And there's these people smiling and they're so happy. And I'm just like, no one, no one pays their loans that way. No, no one, one pays their loans with this big smile on their face. Like, yeah, heck yeah, I'm going to pay my loans today. Submit so $500. Then I'm going to do some like extreme Frisbee. <laughs> and then I'm going to gallivant around the park and be so happy that I just paid my loans. And it's this thing that, every day reminds me that there's this thing hanging over my head that says I'm kind of a slave or indentured servant to the U.S. government. Yeah. And so I feel, I feel a sense of stuckness about that. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of those things that I wish that I could win the lottery. Everyone's like, you know, if you won the lottery, what would you do with it? I'm like, I would pay off my student loans. How about that? You know what's frightening? There was a daily show that was describing how in Illinois, where the state is bankrupt, so they actually can't pay back lotto winnings. So in a hilarious like turn of events, even if you did win the lotto, you may not be able to pay back your student debts because Illinois is in debt. Everyone just wants to inhibit me from being able to pay my student loans via other people's money. I just want to use other people's money to get an education. Is there anything wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that. Rachel. That's You know, I agree with that. But I do feel that that is a, a, a thing that we get stuck in. But that kind of brings me to a question of why do we get stuck or how do we get stuck? 
for me when I think about those emails, it's that sensation of there's this amount that's so ambiguous that I can't possibly do anything about it. So in certain situations in my life when I feel stuck, it's often because the situation seems so overwhelming or my mind is telling me there's no way to escape this. No way. So there's nothing I can do about it. So when I see my student loan debt, what's hilarious is it seems as if every day, I literally think this is happening due to interest, it's always rising. It's not even going lower. It doesn't matter how much I pay. It's just going to go up. Well, it's so interesting. It reminds me um, about like the loan forgiveness program. So I worked in nonprofit for several years and I was kind of in this mindset, okay, well, if I work nonprofit, if I do this job that pays me like no money for 10 years, I'll be able to get unstuck from this situation and that will be the solution to this. Totally. 10 years of stuckness, completely worth it. Completely worth it. But then I get more stuck in a job that burns me out where I'm working more than 50 hours a week. I'm not getting paid any money at all to be able to live, literally living on ramen noodles, which is great, but it's actually like the packaged ramen noodles that are like 39 cents or whatever. Not actually the ones that you get from like the shop down the street, not the yummy ramen noodles with the egg in it and like the spices and onions, not those ramen noodles. So you're stuck in this job thinking, okay, to get unstuck from student loans, I could do this nonprofit work for 10 years and then I'll be free from it. But then you're creating more chaos and instability and emotional turmoil by working these jobs that are just very unhealthy. Not to be too demeaning. Mm. I look at it as almost like a privileged version of 12 years as a slave or something. Like if we could zoom out into the future, they're going to just talk about how we got stuck in these economic situations that really cut us off at the knees and it inhibited our dreaming, the possibility for future things. Mm. I mean, if you can't get out of that mentality or that space of being stuck because you have this mounting thing, whatever it is, whether it's debt, a relationship, a job, mm-hmm. any of those things mm-hmm. can become something that makes us feel trapped. And then we go for, we basically start eating a meal that isn't even healthy for us, that isn't even attuned to us, then you're not going to dream of new realities. You're not going to think of new ways to get out of that. Kind of, go ahead. Yeah, no, there's like a lot of fear that's created in that too of, I have this huge amount of debt or I'm in this job that's super, you know, unhealthy or even a relationship that's unhealthy, but this is what I know. This is what I'm used to. There is some, I don't know, security in the fact that I have a job or in the fact that I have a relationship. So I don't want to shake up that system and maybe try something new. So I hear you saying that maybe being stuck is somehow maybe even reinforcing? I think so in a lot of ways because there is that security. I mean, student loans, that's a whole different monster, but I'm thinking more along the lines of like work or relationships. So maybe someone's like, I'm in a really terrible job. I mean, going back to working in nonprofit, I'm in a job that underpays me and overworks me. However, I'm getting paid. I might be able to pay off my student loans in 10 years if I stick at this job. I have health benefits. I'm able to live and provide for myself. So why shake up this system? 
could you maybe translate that? I feel our audience and even myself would be curious. How do you take that idea and then put it in the context of being stuck in particular relationships or places in your life? So that makes me think about a relationship that I had um, many years ago. We were together for a couple years. And it got to a point where, uh, again, you guys know I'm from Ohio. And from Ohio, there's this mentality. If you're together for so many years, then the next step is just to get married. It doesn't matter if you don't like each other. The next step is marriage and to be together forever. Those are the Ohio... Legislative laws. You pass two years and this is it. <laughs> this is this Ohio's is the no person. Joke <laughs> hey. <laughs> um, so and the relationship had gotten to a point where it was very unhealthy. We weren't communicating. Um, you know, we weren't very nice to each other. We got into a lot of different fights. We weren't validating validating each other's feelings. I felt like I wasn't my own person. I was very depressed during that time. But I felt stuck because our lives were so entangled in each other. We had the same friend groups. We're from the same place. We do the same things. We like the same things. And that relationship got so entangled, I lost kind of my sense of self in a lot of ways. And my sense of self became this person's sense of self. And if they were unhappy, then I was unhappy. So we were enmeshed in a lot of ways. So I felt very stuck because I felt like this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to stay in this relationship, even if I'm unhappy, make it work, figure it out, and get married and have kids, and that's it. There's so much powerful messaging in those terms, you know, supposed to, should, Mm. this is how things can be, must be. And I hear in that, that this thing that we do, even when I'm looking at my student loans, you know, I should be able to pay this off, or I should be making more money, or I shouldn't be in this position. Right. I often view or starting to view a should as almost a form of avoidance to reality. Mm. It's as if a should allows us an escape momentarily rather than saying this is Mm. in this moment. So rather than I should be this, I actually, I'm unhappy Right. versus I should be happier. Yeah, I should be happier in this relationship, even if it's unhealthy. Like I should feel differently because I've been with this person for a specific amount of time. So if you take out the should and you allow that reality to kind of sit, then I think you start to see a little bit of what you kind of can confront Mm. or face. But it's scarier. And maybe identify. It is scarier. But I think you're right. Then you can identify, all right, I'm stuck. I'm unhappy. And I've plateaued. I'm no longer growing. It's like Alice in Wonderland. I always imagine her growing, 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 growing. And she's hit the ceiling and she's like stuffed inside of this house and she needs to grow more, but she can't. (laughs) And it's uncomfortable. She's like squished in this house. So I kind of imagine in that way, like a lot of times in relationships and jobs, we get to a point where we're kind of, we've outgrown it and we don't know and we're uncomfortable, but we don't know it because we should be happy and we should be comfortable. Because there's this idealism, this idea that things are going to expand at the same rate that we are expanding. And even when we talk about things, whether it's a relationship or student loans, I think as a, as a country sometimes, we're not even facing the fact that there are so many people who feel stuck in this economic debt so all the time. So it's like we're not really dealing with this problem 
we're just all feeling it, sensing it, vibrating along with it. Or avoiding it. Or avoiding it. And it's still an actual problem. I'm being pulled into that that should space. And it reminds me of this type of metaphor that I've used with guests here. And often what I'll say is that we, our mind kind of gets attached to thoughts as if they're a velvet rope. So, you know, when you're at a bank or a movie theater, mm -hmm. Rachel, and there's that velvet rope. Oh yeah. Can you cross that velvet rope? No, absolutely not. There's well, no way. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I mean, no, I can't. Do you mean, I mean like I can go in between the velvet ropes and like snake around with everyone else. Like, I always feel like a rebel when I'm at the airport and there's the like ropes yeah. and I go and there's no one in the line and I like duck under them. I'm like, whoop, going under, you don't even, going under. You don't even try to unhook it. I don't even try to unhook it. I just like sneak under. And then I look around me to see if anyone else saw that. I'm like, oh shit, am I about to get into trouble? <laughs> but at the movie theater or like at a museum, like no way. And then I imagine if someone put a velvet rope around me, Right? Would I feel like I could get out of it? In the form of a should. So let's just say that we have this art installation piece and I tie all these velvet ropes around you and all it says is, should be a better person. And you cannot leave until oh you are a better person. Oh my gosh. That just gave me so much anxiety. Right? Would you just listen to the sign? Yeah. I'd be like, how do I be a better person? I mean, my automatic thought is, how do I be a better person so I can get out of these ropes? Completely. So sometimes in therapy, we're working with people who come in and they've escaped so many different things. They've gotten out of terrible relationships, terrible job situations. They've moved across the country. And it's hilarious because now they have to make a decision such as going from one job to the next that would be better for them mm -hmm. or choosing to you know, connect with an old friend that might offer another opportunity to do something else. And I'll say, okay, so you escaped jail. You escaped a really hard decision mm. that you had to make and you survived. And then you ran away from the prison and then suddenly you just see this sign in the dirt that just says, don't cross. <laughs> and you're like, well, you, well, the sign does say don't cross. Don't cross. So I guess I shouldn't. And I think that sometimes too, we even maybe we avoid the signs and we're like, you know what? I'm just going to cross. I'm just going to do this. So I'm going to job. I'm going to jump from one job to the next because in this job I'm unhappy, but I'm not actually, and I'm feeling stuck, but I'm not actually facing the reasons as to why. And now I'm going to go to this next job and I don't care what job it is. I need to jump ship. I need to go to the next one just to be unstuck. And then we get into the next job and guess what? About to get stuck again. Because we don't take the time to examine what is the power that we give to that velvet rope in the mind. Where it's that thought that says you should be here, you can't get out. We stop seeing possibility and we stop looking for other ways to exist. Whether it's to say, well, maybe I can cross over this velvet rope because I'm looking around and there's nobody else in line actually. Right. I can duck under this for this time. Yeah. Maybe I can try this new thing because nobody else is doing it. Maybe we can start a podcast because no one else is approaching it this way. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's such a good point. 
to make when we're trying to, you know, go through the velvet ropes. And I think it also ties us really closely to our sense of self, which was the last episode that we talked about. How are we looking at ourselves in this stuck place? A lot of times I think that draws up this really negative sense of self. Well, I'm stuck because I'm not good enough or I'm stuck because I can't try the next thing. So that brings about the fear. I'm too coward, too much of a coward to be able to go on to the next relationship. I will never find anybody else ever again. That's why I can't get out of this relationship. Yeah, I even hear the heaviness of those words in our mind. It just feels like a weight. When I was on internship in Indiana, in Indianapolis of all places, I felt incredibly stuck. What's well, Indianapolis? Sorry, anybody from Indianapolis. <laughs> yeah, let me, a few facts about Indianapolis. Just Tell so me, you. lay them on me. I once saw the newspaper, they were advertising the Indy 500. And this is no offense Which was to last Indiana weekend. or Indianapolis. And to all of our listeners, we love you. We need you. You're incredible. However, I saw that there was an article that said from a woman, and I quote, sometimes I forget we're the 12th largest city in America. That's an easy thing to forget, okay? Yeah. That's an easy thing. If you're... Number 17, <laughs> it's easy to forget whether you're 14 or 12 <laughs> or 11. If you're top 10, I get it, but. <laughs> the nickname for Indianapolis is Naptown. Naptown? Naptown. Wait, I just dogged on this city and its nickname is Naptown? Naptown. I want to go there now. All right, bye Chicago, I'm out. I'm out. Known for the <laughs> epic naps that you have to take. Because there's nothing going on that interests Fabrice. I'm, I'm, I'm going to speak from my place. So. Is it like siestas? No. Do people actually like stop in the middle of their day to take a nap? I think they just stop in the middle of their lives. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I stopped in the middle of my life. You in, have some, a certain feelings attached to this I have town. A, I have a lot of beef with Indianapolis. Because of certain reasons. Because of certain reasons. Tell me more. Uh, so I felt, I felt incredibly stuck. It was just a place that was really different for me, especially coming from Chicago. And before that, Florida. Mm-hmm. It's a particular demographic where I felt everything is a little bit more homogenous mm-hmm. versus diverse in Chicago or Florida. So it's almost as if everyone came to the same idea and the same agreement about what was important. And some of that's cool such as their parks. They have great parks. It's a clean city for sure. Everybody decided we're going to have a clean place and we're going to do parks. Mm-hmm. Nobody thought, hey, we need to really build up an awesome kind of diverse hip hop music scene. There is a great jazz scene that kind of came out of this place. Cool. So you see some of these intersections, but it's very, very tiny and minimal sometimes. And you can even see it in some of the ways in which their conservative, the conservatism of their laws come out in a lot of different things. So I'm not just speaking from my personal perspective. It's also some of the values that I have sure. as a clinician. Makes sense. So in Indianapolis, I felt stuck. I was cut off from, none of my friends lived there because they weren't crazy enough to do that. I, my daughter was just born and I was completely isolated in terms of you had to get around everywhere through car, which is something I hadn't done in about five years. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't even used to this idea of driving 20 minutes to get to Target. I was used to taking the train and taking a bus or walking yeah. and encountering a bunch of people. It's a huge transition. It's a huge transition. And what came out of it, fascinatingly enough, is as I started to get more stuck, I started to look at every day as being the same. I would wake up, look at my ceiling, and I would feel that that would repeat almost, uh, almost like I was in the movie Groundhog's Day. 
It was every day was me opening my eyes, seeing that ceiling, opening my eyes, seeing that ceiling, opening my eyes, seeing that ceiling. And it would, it felt like a boulder that just was in front of me. Hmm. Towards the kind of end of the summer, I started to realize that I was so stuck and it was so hindering my sense of creativity, my sense of imagination for myself that one day I decided, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go out onto my porch because you do get a porch. You Whoa, get porches. My outdoor house, space? My house was like $500 a what? month. What? And I had like seven bedrooms and oh. a basement oh and in-unit washer-dryer. What is that like? Yeah, it was incredible. But it's in Indianapolis. <laughs> but also it's in Indianapolis. So I decided to go out onto my porch and I thought I'm going to stay here for an hour and I'm going to write whatever comes. 30 minutes go by, 40 minutes go by. And I realized I was just waiting. And then I wrote down this word, weightless, W-A-I-T-L-E-S-S. Mm. And I was like, I feel weightless. Is that when you created your Instagram account? And that's kind of, well, the Instagram account is a reference to that. Oh. Um, and it became this book of poetry that I wrote about waiting. Because mm. I always felt that I was either waiting for something to happen waiting to get through something, waiting for the one random bus that comes in Indianapolis, whatever the fuck it wants, yeah. you know? And I took all of that stuck energy and rather than trying to free myself, mm-hmm. I just started to describe just what it is to be stuck and to play with that space. So rather than even getting out, I just got more in. Interesting. So you actually looked inward and kind of let it be you're kind of like okay i'm in this place right here and right now i feel kind of stuck i feel like i can't do anything else but what does that mean and how do i define myself by that what velvet ropes do i create that either imprison me or could this be this force or kind of a liberation so by can cre- I lift the velvet rope? Can I move the velvet ropes around? Can I turn this velvet rope into a jump rope? Ooh, that might yeah. be fun. Could be. <laughs> a little bit dangerous, though, if the metal things that hang on to yeah, the side and you can drop true. them. Yeah, so. I kind of wanted to read a little bit from uh, the book Radical Acceptance. Uh, Tara Brock wrote this incredible book, and you can pick it up at volumes off of Milwaukee. We'll put our plaque by this. Yeah. So I want to just highlight this, this passage that she has. In the 1950s, a few highly trained pilots in the U.S. Air Force were set on a life or death task to fly at altitudes higher than ever before attempted. Going beyond the Earth's denser atmosphere, they found much to their horror that the ordinary laws of aerodynamics no longer existed. As Tom Wolfe described in The Right Stuff, a plane could skid into a flat spin like a cereal bowl on a wax formica counter and then start tumbling. Not spinning and diving, but tumbling end over end. The first pilots to face this challenge responded by frantically trying to stabilize their planes, applying correction after correction. The more furiously they manipulated the controls, the wilder the ride became. Screaming helplessly to the ground control, what do I do next? They would plunge to their death. This tragic drama occurred several times until one of the pilots, Chuck Yeager, inadvertently struck upon a solution. When his plan began tumbling, 
Jaeger was thrown violently around the cockpit and knocked out. Unconscious, he plummeted toward the Earth. Seven miles later, the plane re-entered the planet's denser atmosphere, where standard navigation strategies could be implemented. Jaeger came to, he steadied the craft, and he lands safely. He had discovered the only life-saving response that was possible in this desperate, this desperate situation. Don't do anything. You take your hands off the control. This solution, as Wolf puts it, was the only choice you had. It encountered all training and even basic survival instincts, but it worked. That makes me think about, you know, this one time I was driving and it was a really rainy day. And all of a sudden what happened was my car started hydroplane. And automatically in your mind, you're like, okay, well, I need to turn this wheel. I need to turn it so then I don't like wreck into something else. But when you're hydroplaning, you actually don't want to do anything. You don't want to apply the brakes. You don't want to turn the wheel. You really just want to kind of let it be and let it see where it goes. So I think that's a really interesting metaphor is a lot of times maybe when we feel stuck, we feel this urge to press all the buttons in the cockpit and, you know, try to fly to safety. And right. Escape, escape, escape. Escape. Get out of here. Quick, quick, quick. Right. But maybe the key is actually just letting it be and thinking about and being more mindful about what is going on around me right now. What are maybe the options? I think in that relationship that I was in, I was just so not, I was not mindful at all about how I was feeling, about what was going on. I was going through the motions of my relationship in my day-to-day. And I didn't recognize how unhappy I was until I actually just stopped. And kind of like what you were talking about, I looked inward and I was like, what is going on for me? I'm not happy. This is not me. And you let go of the control. Exactly. Velvet ropes all around. All around. They're all around. Another thing that I like to just ask myself is what can I learn from this position of stuckness? There was a really wise adolescent guest I was working with that said to me, you know, Fabrice, life is a teacher and sometimes you don't like the instructor, but it doesn't mean that they don't have something to show you. I know. Right? I just got chills. I know. This is this is why I'm a therapist, because people bring to us so many just nuggets of wisdom and genuine authenticity and realness. And I'm humbled by it every day. Absolutely. And I think it's also important to recognize that we don't need to let other people make us feel stuck and unable to do things. So whether it's, you know, we've talked about before how I really like going to dinner by myself. Alan was telling us earlier that he was like, I really want to go see this alien movie. And I texted like seven people, but no one wanted to come because they were either scared of it or they just didn't like the movie. So I decided, you know what? I'm not going to be stuck in my apartment, not going to see this movie I want to go to. I'm going to go by myself. He liberated himself from the velvet rope. He liberated himself from the velvet rope. But I also wonder, were there velvet ropes there? And did he go through them? Did you go through them? Did you go through the velvet rope? He jump roped those velvet ropes. Jump roped the velvet ropes. He, t- he walked on the tightrope of he, the velvet rope. Oh, I love it. The, um, the thing I, I even want to say too is to even ask yourself sometimes, who am I listening to? And are these people telling me that I'm stuck? 
Are the people around me saying, I can't? Mm. No, you shouldn't. Or are our inner voices, that sense of self, also saying that to us? Sense of self. Sense of Episode 11. <laughs> <laughs> Is it saying maybe mean things to us? Like, no, you can't do this. Don't even try it because you're going to fail. Don't get out of this relationship because you're never going to find anyone else. So also checking in with those voices too. Mm -hmm. Alan, the one that cut through the velvet rope, is the producer of our podcast. Um, he's the one that puts all of the awesome instruments and actually gives our podcast that really great thumbprint. We appreciate all of the things that he does for us. Go over and check out his music. Honestly, the other day I was having like one of those off days and I went to soundcloud.com slash vibes and I listened to Alan's music and it like uplifted me. It liberated you. It did. You can also check out his SoundCloud account on our website, mindfulchatter.org. We will be putting all of our podcast notes, the episode notes up on there. So there is a link to Volumes, which is um, going to be carrying Radical Acceptance, the book that we had talked about today in this episode. Go ahead and subscribe to all of our channels to hear our latest episodes. We are as Mindful Chatter on podcast on soundcloud.com slash mindfulchat. We're also on Stitcher still, <laughs> and I love it. Um, follow us on, at Mindful Chat on Twitter. And we have been recently getting a lot of really awesome emails. So send any inquiries to mindfulchatterpodcast at gmail.com. We really want to hear input that you guys have. And we're thinking about some other ways that maybe we can get our listeners more involved on the episodes. This has been Mindful Chat. We'll see you next time. <laughs>